Welcome back. Grateful for this time that we can pass the peace to one another, connect and share. This has been a week where probably for many of us, our lives have felt anything at times but peaceful. Uh, Like many of you, I've been experiencing lots of big feelings. Some feel scary. Others times I just feel very sorrowful and sad. And still other times, just incredibly angry. I experienced a time of grief about a year after moving to San Antonio. A good friend from seminary died of cancer, leaving behind a mother, or leaving behind a wife and a daughter. A year later, and a newer friend in San Antonio moved away. Another friendship ended, and a roommate from my college years ended his own life. It felt like the snowstorm of grief was unrelenting, and I didn't feel like I had the energy to shovel anymore. So while I kept walking through life, increasingly it felt like grief was ever-present and just piling and piling and piling on. And I felt increasingly cold and numb. It seemed like all my energy was required to just keep going. Several years later, I was with two good friends, on what was intended to be an easy hike in the foothills of the Rockies. But a late May snowstorm dumped an unfathomable amount of snow for me anytime, let alone in May. And there we were, still apparently going on the hike, without snowshoes, of course, because who needs snowshoes when a lot of snow is just dumped? Doing our best to get as far as we could. And of course, the further we got up, the deeper the snow grew, and the less sure my Colorado friend was that we were even on the trail at all, which was more than a little disconcerting to this Texan. Uh, And finally, one of their dogs was with us, and so finally I said, on behalf of the dog, I think we need to turn around and go home, right? It's it's really on behalf of me, uh, but it was good to have the out of the dog there. And as I reflected on that experience, it it felt a lot like grief, just trying to go further and further, but the snow just being unrelenting and cold and numbing. Who helps us when we feel scared, sad, angry, or confused? How do we support one another in challenging times? These questions are universal. They're also questions the community of John's gospel were asking likely emerging late in the first century or perhaps the early second century. This gospel is written in a time where the early followers of Jesus felt a deflation of hope. They had believed that the God's global kingdom was going to be totally inaugurated in their lifetimes. And they're starting to see that less and less that looks like it will be the case. And I believe this prayer that was read earlier from Jesus in the gospel of John chapter 17 is a prayer of Jesus breathing into the collapse of this hope. We've experienced our own deflation of hope over the last couple of weeks. Events in the Dallas Metroplex, Buffalo, New York, and Irvine, California bombarded us with a grief for the loss of life and anger at what seems like a particularly American problem. 
Then we all began to hear about Uvalde, and each new cycle only seemed to be more gut-wrenching. And most all of us, whether adults or children, are experiencing a roller coaster of emotions. We are sad and troubled, angry and frustrated, disturbed and worried. And while the kids in this room and beyond it are likely looking to the adults in this room and beyond this room for answers and reassurance, part of the immense challenge is that we have no easy answers or quick reassurances. Two things we are doing in this liturgy to make space for all that is upset and hurting within us, as well as all that is mobilizing and advocating for change in our world, is that you probably saw at the back of this space, we have set up a table as an altar, a place to pause and reflect, to light a candle. It's a visual space during liturgy to process. Later in our liturgy, we'll have another time of silence and lament. We're not unaware that on a fifth Sunday like this, where we have our younger ones still with us in this space, that their sounds during our silence might be particularly affecting And we offer this time, but understand and support those who might need to opt out, still hoping that this time of reflection can be one of communal grief and also where we consider how we might be called to action. Finally, beyond this morning's liturgy, some within our community are offering on Tuesday night here at Vesper a time of yoga and letter writing. We hope this can be an embodied way to process grief and express the urgency of the now. We have seen different popular media address grief and disappointment in various ways. Early in the pandemic, the miniseries WandaVision, at times creative, at other times, for me, a little bit more clunkily, explored grief. But there was this exchange that stirred our pop cultural discourse in those days between Wanda and her partner, Vision. Wanda says, it's just like this wave washing over me again and again. It knocks me down, and when I try to stand up, it just comes for me again, and I can't. It's going to drown me. To which Vision replies, no, no, Wanda. And she wonders, how do you know? To which Vision says, because it can't all be sorrow, can it? I've always been alone, so I don't feel the lack. It's all I've ever known. I've never experienced loss because I've never had a loved one to lose. What is grief if not love persevering? It's particularly that line. What is grief if not love persevering? That for good or ill seemed to resonate in our culture in that time. In our passage, love is referenced in the middle and again at the very end. Verse 26, I made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus declares to God that the end goal is that the love of God, which creator God has poured out onto Jesus, may also fill each of us up. And if the love of God is in us, then surely Jesus' life is in us to love God's love showing up for us and in us and through us and into the larger world. This is Jesus' hope and goal. The Gospel of John agrees with the poet who once sang, this love is more than a feeling. In John's Gospel, the love of God transforms societal arrangements and communal relationships, moving people from servants 
an economic arrangement of power over to friends, a relationship of mutuality. What is God's command? Earlier in John, we find out, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. God's command is love. Not niceness to those we find agreeable, but a love for one another that resembles the love we see lived out in Jesus' life. A life of nonviolence and simplicity. A life of solidarity with the oppressed. A life of loving enemies and inclusion of the marginalized. A life of overflowing with mercy. A life not fixated on seeking status, power, or possessions. And what does this love look like? Verse 13 says, No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. God's love is giving and vulnerable. And this is part of what we are feeling this week, that vulnerability of loving others, refusing to accept that acts of violence towards racial and ethnic communities or acts of violence toward the most vulnerable among us are ever okay. Jesus knew to follow him in God's way of love would be extremely difficult. So in our passage of John 17, we find Jesus nearing this time of his arrest, trial, and execution. He is about to live out love in the world. Jesus is aware that those who seek to follow after him in the way of love will find times of great challenge and hardship and heartache. So after praying for his disciples, this ragtag group of people who had been following him around for three years, he pivots his attention towards the future. John chapter 17, verse 20, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus knows staying open to and on the path of love is not only hard for him, but will be hard for us. What difference does it make to hear Jesus praying for us? The gospel of John is different than the other gospels we have in our New Testament in many ways, but one of those is that we don't have what was typically called the Lord's Prayer in the gospel of John. There isn't this our Father who art in heaven that we see in the other gospels. And what is it like to hear this prayer that Jesus gives with those closest to him gathered around at a time of great vulnerability. And to know in that moment, he's not only praying for himself and for those in that room, but peering forward into the unfathomable future and praying for us, for our community, for our leaders, for those who feel marginalized and disinherited and disenfranchised. What's it like to know Jesus is praying for you? Because Jesus' prayers invite us into participation with God's love and to work alongside those struggling, afraid, dismissed, and forgotten. Verse 21 says that they, speaking about all of those who would live into this legacy of God's love, would all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
We are invited into God's love as a vulnerable, self-giving, receiving, sharing love. In fact, in John 17, we are seeing we're invited into the very life and heart of God. What we learn about the life of God is that creator God is in Jesus and Jesus is in creator God. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. God's glory is shown in Jesus by completing the work God gave him to do. The work of love brings out beauty and goodness. Yes, glory of the God whose name is love. Verse 23, I am them and you and me that they may be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This life of God is not something we do on our own as super empowered individuals. It is a life of co-participation with one another, with creator God, with the son who is self-giving, with the spirit who advocates on behalf of us and empowers us to keep on being faithful in the work of a more just world. It's like a song that can break us from the world, from a trance of a world bent on violence, destruction, and dehumanization of one another. It invites us into a song in which we play a part, but is ultimately bigger than any one of us alone. We know what it is to sing a song that is constricting. In Disney's Encanto, we meet Mirabel Madrigal, who introduces us and her community to her family through song. This is our home, we've got every generation so full of music, a rhythm of its own design. This is my family, a perfect constellation. So many stars and everybody gets to shine. Whoa! No? Okay. Um, Mirabel sings about the multiple generations in her family who each have a special gift they use to bless not only their family, but the surrounding community. Yet even in this opening song of the film, it is clear that all is not well. While Mirabel sings over the surrounding community's children about how special her family is, the children keep asking, what are your powers? What's your gift? And Mirabel's discomfort is obvious. She continues to evade their questions and continues to sing about other family members and the amazing things happening in them. But the children keep asking, what about Mirabel? And Mirabel's final line, seemingly trying to hold back these pressing and uncomfortable questions, come right back to, my family's amazing, and I'm in my family, so, well. And then she just kind of trails off as her abuela says, Mirabel. And seen in light of Jesus' prayer of participation for us, they're a reminder that the love, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, comfort, wisdom, and boldness we seek are not from us alone. In the story, Mirabel at the beginning is struggling because she doesn't feel like she has the power to be able to join her family to cause any effective change in the world. And yet, 
she still is anchoring herself to something bigger than herself, to this family that she participates in and believes is up to something good. And it is ultimately through that that she will find her place of participation and healing for her family and community. Verse 25, righteous father, the world does not know you, but I know you and these know that you have sent me. The word here used for righteous is more aptly translated equitable or just. God cares about hard situations in our world. God wants everyone to have what they need for their well-being and flourishing. Where there is injustice in our society, God cares and wants to see our broken society rebuilt for our mutual good. Jesus notes God's justice, but also God's closeness as a caregiver parent. When we are sad, scared, or angry, God is near to us. Those strong emotions may feel overwhelming, and that's understandable, but they do not drive God away. Often when we experience other feel, others' feelings of intense sorrow, rage, or fear, we feel a bit awkward around them, and we might even unintentionally or intentionally distance ourselves. God is not like that. God's love is with us always and especially is a faithful anchor in challenging times. In the middle of chaos and confusion, Jesus grounds his prayer for us in God's caregiving nearness and justice. The world does not know you, he prays, speaking to the creator God. These systems, priorities, and values center on something other than the mutually liberating and loving global community in which God invites everyone to participate. And so he's aware that there's a different song that can grind us down and invites us back to the song of the triune God, this song of God's global kingdom where there is justice for each and every one of us. Kelsey Crow and Emily McDowell remind us how we can show up for one another in their three touchstones of showing up. The first one they offer is that your kindness is your credential. Kindness is not about how deserving the other person is. It's not a niceness that is reciprocal in that way. A key factor they talk about is emotional resonance, which they define as when you feel enough to be concerned but not enough to require getting your own support too, right? You're noticing people, you're feeling some sense of empathy with them, but you're also able to still offer uh, the kindness that is necessary in that moment. Two, that listening speaks volumes. If silent moments are uncomfortable, it isn't because silence is actually a problem, but because you aren't used to it. Training in nonviolent communication that we occasionally offer here uh, that focuses on how we're hearing what other people are feeling is especially helpful in these moments. And third, small gestures make a big difference. Giving begins with what you can give, not with what someone needs. I think oftentimes in these moments, we can see that the needs are so great and our own emotional, mental cupboards feel so bare. And so it could feel like, what could I possibly have to give in light of these massive needs? And they suggest that we start thinking, well, what does bring us energy and what could we have to give if we decide it is ours to give and start there? F. Scott Spencer, 
in his commentary, paints a cosmic picture of what it is to participate and join in the song of God's triune love. I want to read these words slowly over us as an invitation to creatively recharge our imagination and our participation in this holistically healing triune community. The breathtaking scope of Jesus' prayer for unity stretches in concentric circles as wide as the universe and as long as eternity with the father-son bond of love forming both the dynamic core and the holistic circumference of this cosmic community. As we continue to walk forward in hope, seeking justice and peace. May it be so for us. Amen.